Today on Stick to Football, congratulations to LSU, the Tigers, and undefeated season national champions. We're going to talk about the game, get you caught up on everything you missed with player declarations and news, and then it is Mock Draft Wednesday. We wanted to wait until national, after the national championship game. But Connor, we have a, a busy two-and-a-half-week stretch ahead of us. The college football season is over and if it wasn't already draft season, it definitely is now. Yeah, I mean, one more week, less than a week of declarations here. So you have that going on in the draft circle. Obviously, an awesome season for LSU, a legendary, historic season for LSU. Joe Burrow, Coach O, all the playmakers on that team and that staff. So it was really exciting. But this is when things really pick up for us. I mean, we have a mock draft coming your way where – there are some changes. There are some risers and fallers, of course. We're going to answer your draft-on-draft draft questions. But before we do any of that, Matt, we got to talk about not only the national championship, but a lot of news going around the NFL and college football world right now. Yeah, and uh, you're listening to this Wednesday morning. You can hop in the BR app, hit the NFL draft stream, and I have an article looking at some of my guys that I thought showed up and some guys who disappointed in the national championship. And we're not going to spend a whole show on that because I think that we too often live in a microwave society of we watch one game and you want to over-evaluate everything. You know, I had people last night saying that Trevor Lawrence is good, and you got people who are saying, you know, that A.J. Terrell's not good or Christian Fulton's not good. We don't live in that role. We live in a role where you evaluate guys for two, three, four years and then make a decision on them. So I don't want to get super hot takey. Hell, I saw somebody saying that Joe Burrow wasn't going to be a good NFL quarterback after last night. Come so on. whatever take you want, you can find it on Twitter this morning. But I am continually impressed by Joe Burrow. And I think it would be funny to go back and listen to the show right after the Texas game where I mean, I, we watched that game in Austin and then I went home and watched it again. And I just I had my head in my hands watching that game. It was like, how do you stop this guy? And Coach O mentioned it last night, the third and 17 throw from Joe Burrow. And I remember sitting with you and Melo and a bunch of our listeners. When that throw happened, I just threw my hands up. and was like, well, as a Texas fan, we can't stop this guy. That Monday, Joe Burrow made it into the first round of my, my mock draft. And since then, it's just been a climb for him. You know, beating Alabama, beating Georgia. 70 touchdowns, excuse me, 60 touchdowns this year. It's the best season I've ever seen for a quarterback. And I think you could say LSU beating seven top 10 teams this year, whether they deserve that ranking or not when they played them. I think you could say LSU just had one of the best seasons we've ever seen for a team. I mean, I think so. I, when you look at it, this was so impressive, whether it was the schedule, also the fashion that they beat teams in, Matt. I think that counts for something. I mean, this is a team that when they needed to score over 40 points, they did it. When they need a big defensive stop, they did it. They blew out some good teams. Even the national championship, when you look at the game, yes, it was a slow start for LSU. But the second half, it just felt like Clemson was never fully, could never fully get themselves back in this game. And that's because of the, the killer instinct. It, when you look at LSU, Burrow was taking shots down the field to close out the game. They weren't just turning their backs and handing the ball to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and saying, let's kill some clock and pray our defense gets a stop against Trevor Lawrence and Justin Ross and Travis Etienne, and even when T. Higgins came back on the field. So I think that counts for something. It really does. And it was an incredible season by the LSU Tigers. I know we're really happy for them. Baton Rouge is our favorite place we've ever had a tailgate at. The people there were awesome to us. And this is a very easy football team to root for. And now we move on because it's not only going to be Joe Burrow's NFL career, but it's going to be a lot of people surrounded by this LSU program moving on to the NFL. Yeah, a ton of underclassmen. We'll wait to hear what they decide. Uh, but I do want to shout out before we move on. Patrick Queen and Isaiah Simmons, if you're looking for inside linebackers, whether it's this year or next, we'll see what Queen decides to do. Those dudes are the new prototype. Guys who can run like that and can take over the middle of the field. I, I feel like the first half, Isaiah Simmons was probably the MVP of the game. The second half, uh, Cl Clemson could not get him in those matchups. LSU did a wonderful job scheming away from him. But Patrick Queen for LSU was as impactful in the second half, in my opinion. So I want to shout out those two dudes. It's just having a, a fantastic game. This is going to be one of those where you watch it 10 times because there was just so much talent on the field and you want to see those matchups. So again, congrats to LSU. We're not going to spend the whole show on it because, uh, again, we don't want to over-evaluate one game. But I do want to jump into some of the news because a lot did happen. 
Monday and Tuesday of this week that we want to talk about. AJ Epinesa, as we are recording this Tuesday morning, he has declared for the draft. I think this is notable for a couple reasons. He is a top 10 player on my board, uh, really has been all year, has a little bit of a slow start this year, but turned it on amazingly once they got into the Big Ten schedule. But Epinesa declares, we're still waiting for Tristan Wirfs, so we'll see what the Iowa guys, and he may announce while we're recording today. If he does, we'll jump in with it. But A.J. Epinesa, I think, and you you guys will see when we get into the mock draft, I really like him. I know we've had some disagreements on this desk before, especially when Melo's here, about where do you play him in the NFL. I've compared him to what we've seen this year from Eric Armstead with the 49ers. I think he could play defensive end. He could play defensive tackle. He could play five technique, but his athleticism, his length, and his ability to pair those things together is just going to make him really, really tough to block, whether he's over the tackle, over the guard, or in a gap. Without a doubt. I think it's it's one of the players that there's going to be a lot of varying opinions on. Now, I was really excited for Epinesa coming into this year, and I think it, it was a year of you know some flash and great plays. There was definitely some slow weeks, and I think that had people wondering, you know, what is his projection at the next level? So it's going to be interesting for Epinesa. You want to see how he works out. You want to see what kind of player he projects to be at the next level in terms of weight. Is he going to come in lighter at the combine and try to look more athletic, maybe at 270 right. pounds and, and up some of those times? Or is he going to come in heavier and weigh 285 and show, listen, I'm going to play on the interior, you know, and be that kind of pass rusher. And, and listen, that's not you don't have to win one way. We don't need AJ Epinesa to be this, you know, five tech, this nine wide kind of rusher. We don't need him to necessarily be Nick Bosa, Brian Burns to be a good player. That's not what we're saying. It's just that you need to figure out what his best role is at the next level. But I can tell you this. It's obvious that he's going to be a first-round pick, Matt. You and I were talking about that before the show. It's no secret. And that these next couple months is a huge chance for him to raise that stock even further. Yeah, testing will be big for Epinesa. Now, another guy who announced his intention uh, right before the National Championship game was Chuba Hubbard, a player that just had a historic year, a fantastic year for Oklahoma State. He announces that he will be going back to Stillwater. So Oklahoma State is able to to bring Chuba Hubbard back and wide receiver Tylen Wallace, who ended this year on injury. But quarterback Spencer Sanders and head coach Mike Gundy got to be pretty damn happy to wake up on Tuesday morning and realize that the band is back together. That trio might be the best in college football next year with with teams like Ohio State breaking in new running backs and receivers. LSU's going to be breaking in a new quarterback. Alabama's going to have a new quarterback and probably a new running back. But Oklahoma State's offense is going to have a lot of firepower next year. They really do, and I think this was probably a decision. I think Tylen Wallace was the beginning of Chuba Hubbard probably sitting there and saying, listen, I don't need to rush out now. I believe he's been there exactly three years, so in one of those years was a redshirt year. So for Hubbard, this is a chance for all the attention to be on him. Coming into next year when you're filling out your Heisman projections, of course you're going to talk about Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. I completely get that. But Hubbard at times, and I'm guilty of this too, it felt like the college football world at times did not appreciate the greatness this year that was Chuba Hubbard. And sometimes that could be because of your program. You're not an undefeated team or a team hovering around for the playoffs or a chance at the playoffs. And next year, they come in with a clean slate and for a chance to him to own that. Yeah, it is going to be – that's going to be a magical year if everyone can stay healthy for Oklahoma State. And I say that as a Texas fan. Like, they're going to be really, really good next year. Another player who declared – a. This would have been a surprise until Matt Rule took the Carolina Panthers head coaching job. James Lynch, who was like Baylor's J.J. Watt, basically. Yeah, basically. Six foot four, 295 pounds, the ginger giant, this guy. If you watched Baylor this year, and, and I know we had a lot of conversations about them, it'd be like, man, they don't have many NFL prospects. But they did have James Lynch, and he is a legit NFL prospect. He is a top 40 player on my board, Connor. He is going to go right into this interior D-line mix. And he is going to push guys that, you know, like, I really like Ross Blacklock. I really like Neville Gallimore. Those dudes just got pushed down a little bit because James Lynch coming into this class is going to, to push people down. I think he's better than Raekwon Davis, who a Me lot too. of people will know from Alabama, you know, as a three-year starter. I think James Lynch is just, his motor is so much fun, and he gets push. He has speed, and this is a, a really special guy who we're not going to see at the Senior Bowl uh, unless he has a degree I don't know about. 
but it is it is fascinating to watch him play football. Uh, he was phenomenal this year. 13 and a half sacks, uh, three forced fumbles. He was the guy on the Baylor defense that could take over games for you up front. And I think this is a good decision by him to leave. And I'm with you, Matt. I think if Matt Rule had stayed Rule's the kind of guy that can convince people to come back to the program, especially a player like Lynch. But when you look at it, this is a good decision. His stock is hot right now. Uh, Listen, there's going to be a time where it's going to be interesting to see if he could sneak into round one of some of these mock drafts. And I think he's one of the players we'll have circled for at the NFL Combine because you've heard us on the defensive line talent, the interior line talent. We talk about Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw a lot, and Lynch is going to find his way into the conversation with the top group, I think. Maybe not on those guys' level because Brown is probably a top five, top seven player, but the Lynch hype will really take off now that he's officially in. Yeah, he's a he's just a really good player. He's Like I said, he's not going to pass Derek Brown. He's not going to pass uh, Javon Kinlaw but he might be right behind those guys on this interior defensive line class, which is starting to look really, really good. Now, another announcement, and you guys may have missed it, (laughs) because during the national championship game, former Houston quarterback De'Eric King announces that he's going to enter the transfer portal. I just want to talk to Derek as a guy. I worked in marketing before I worked at Bleacher Report, but it does not take a marketing expert to tell you, do not make a major announcement during the biggest college football game of the year. You save this. Do a Chuba Hubbard. Do it at 5 o'clock while everybody's watching the pregame show. Or do it today, tomorrow. Like, wake up. Boom. Fire off that tweet. I understand that you want to get in the portal. And it was interesting because, you know, he sat out this year. And there was talk about, is Dana Holgerson redshirting guys? And then Derek King's family kind of gets involved. Now we know officially he's entered the portal, which, by the way, does not mean he's leaving Houston necessarily. Guys can enter the transfer portal and not leave. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. But Derek King... Mostly notable this morning for not understanding when to fire off that tweet. It was, maybe he did it on purpose. Maybe Derek King doesn't like the attention and, and the announcement had maybe. to come out. I, I think, I, number one, I was laughing because we're sitting there. We're all live tweeting the national title game. We're watching all the top prospects in the country and just LSU cap off a historic season. And all of a sudden, this comes across the Twitter timeline and everyone's like, wait, what? Like now? At a time like this? I think the question people will have is, what are the landing spots for De'Ara King? And I'll be honest with you, Matt. I don't see the door open at a ton of places that will be coming in and giving him the, hey, you're the starter if you come here at this point because it's late. We said how much we love Jamie Newman going to Georgia because that's a fit that makes sense. Jake Fromm leaves. Newman's a very, very talented player that just honestly caught some bad luck at Wake Forest this year with the injuries around him. So going to Georgia, it's a seamless fit and a guy that should be handed the starting job. I love De'Ara King. He was one of my favorite college football players to watch a year ago, a little over a year ago. But I think right now, it's not easy for me to find a logical landing spot outside of the Houston program. We can ask Melo about this when he's on the Friday morning show with this again, but I saw someone ask him this last night, and he said he should go to Texas and play slot receiver. And I think there's going to be some question with Derek King about, okay, if you try to transfer to – like, you're not going to Alabama and taking a quarterback job. I, at least I don't think. No. And I don't think you're going to LSU and taking a quarterback job. Oklahoma has Spencer Rattler. They're not bringing in another transfer quarterback. So I, I think Derek King is more like Kelly Bryant when he left, where – and it's very similar. Guy left the program – transfers and there's a little bit of hype a little bit of hoopla and then he gets to Missouri or wherever Derek King ends up and you're kind of like oh well yeah okay we remember he actually wasn't that good so I I think with Derek King he's an exciting player I was very excited to see him this year in Daniel Holgerson's offense but uh didn't seem to work out and uh we will be uh waiting to see where he lands let's take a break come back what we got more I got one more thing I want to get to here because I think it's hilarious Ocho Cinco has announced he will be having a tryout for the XFL. Oh, my God. As a kicker, Matt. You know what? I like it. I I've love watched it. some of his kicking videos. They are not bad. No. So. Number one, it's good for him, but it's even better for the XFL. If the XFL needed some kind of entertainment factor, Ocho Cinco there is the is. guy to bring it. You know, they're doing a pretty good job of of marketing that thing. So uh, we, and we haven't even seen any football yet, but some of the rule <laughs> changes and everything, pretty, pretty damn good job. Now we'll take a break. And when we come back, the Bengals are on the clock and you guys know who the pick will be.
It is mock draft time. All of the college football games have been played. The evaluation season really starts in earnest now. The Shrine Bowl is going on this week. NFL PA Bowl is going on this week. Next week, we'll be in Mobile, Alabama. And then a month after that, we have the NFL Scouting Combine. So for us, for me, Connor Mello, this is our time. When the season's over, we're going to get an influx of tape. We're going to have time, because tailgate tour's over, to dig in on these prospects. Because of that, not so much because of one game, but because of that time to evaluate players, we're going to start to see some changes in our boards. Mine uh, has already been updated a lot from where it was two weeks ago, the last time I released one, because of that more time to evaluate players. The one thing that I don't need more time to evaluate is this. At number one (laughs) overall, the Cincinnati Bengals will select Joe Burrow, quarterback LSU. This is the easiest decision. A lot of people want to fight me on that and be like, no, Andrew Luck was. People were saying RG3 should be the first pick, okay? This is the easiest decision I've seen in my 10 years of covering the draft. Joe Burrow to the Bengals. The Ohio kid comes home. He's going to be the savior of this franchise. We heard Jim Nagy talk about the connections between Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow's brothers. The families have already talked. I think you could just put this down in ink. I mean, this is a no-brainer, and I'll piggyback off of that with another no-brainer. The Washington Redskins at number two take Chase Young. I know people are out there spreading absolute nonsense and bullshit that Chase Young didn't show up against Clemson. I don't know what football game they watched. I think he had 10 pressures. Just because a guy doesn't have three sacks every single week doesn't mean he didn't show up. And if you also watch a lot of teams since Chase Young destroyed everyone in his path for the first three months are double teaming him nonstop. And he's still generating pressure and forcing bad plays. So Chase Young is a great football player. Yes, you'd like to see him maybe round out his game. And when I say that, a lot of his wins are coming with a speed rush, which is great. He has an awesome speed rush, and he has the power. But it'll be a little more consistent, I think, once he continues to develop. And that's no knock on Chase Young. I'm just saying if you're looking for anything that he needs to get better at. But this is such an easy selection at number two for Washington. It really is. And I think with with Chase Young... I don't know if people are watching if they said he didn't show up, but I can remember because I'm an old man. So I can remember people saying things like that about Nick and Joey Bosa about I can remember it about Miles Garrett or Bradley Chubb. I think sometimes people expect defensive ends to have a sack every play, just like wide receivers can't drop a pass or corners can't have a bad playing coverage. Uh, I think sometimes people just get a little bit too excited. Number three, and this is where the draft starts. The Detroit Lions are going to have a hard decision to make because you have the entire class in front of you. And I think it would be smart of Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia to answer their phone, to try to jump up, drum up interest starting really right now. If they're on the road at these all-star games, drumming up interest in trading back for this pick, because there will be quarterback needy teams wanting to move up. Now in mock drafts right now, we don't project trade. So I have the Lions staying here and taking Isaiah Simmons. And that might seem early for him, but he's number five on my board. And when you watch the Lions play this year, It's not a bad team, but a lot of their needs don't match up with where the board is right now. They need like they could use another defensive end opposite Trey Flowers. Well, there's not one here, but Isaiah Simmons is going to give you coverage ability in the middle of the field. As we saw against LSU, he can rush the quarterback. He can stop the run. The Lions linebackers cannot cover. So I think Isaiah Simmons comes in and really answers every question they have at the linebacker position. I have no problem with him going third overall. I do think ultimately this pick will be traded by the Lions, which will net them a lot more assets, especially the ideal for the Lions is to flip to number five with the Dolphins because then you're only moving two back and you're basically assuring yourself that you're getting either Isaiah Simmons or Jeff Okuda, which is pretty nice for them and would help both would help them a lot. And just to be clear here, Matt, you know, once these mock drafts start getting a little stale, you know, we'll mix it up with some trades as we always do, but we're probably still a month away from that or so. We need at least a final draft order before right. we start doing And all trades. the underclassmen, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so number four, the New York Giants. This is pretty easy for me. This pick is Jedrick Wills. Get Daniel Jones an offensive line. Listen, Daniel Jones definitely needs to work on the fumbling problem. It's a significant issue. But one way you can maximize that is make sure he gets hit less. And if you upgrade your tackle spot with a player like Jedrick Wills, I think you're doing just that. You heard the Joe Judge press conference. They want to be a tough team. They want to come out and punch teams in the face. That's the style Jedrick Wills plays. This is a football team that they drafted a running back at two in Saquon Barkley. You got to have an offensive line for the guy to run behind. I just don't see the Giants going in any other direction here. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe things will change. 
But I think unless they really hit it out of the park in free agency, they have to get another tackle. They really do. And I think you can even look at just the style of football that we're going to think they want to play. And it's hard with, with a new head coach coming in. We, the Titans, we don't really that's know. That's what they'll want to do. Yeah, but that's what you would expect. And you look at a guy who is in New England and in Alabama and get a pretty good idea of what he's going to want to do. Jedrick Wills absolutely belongs in this spot. Number five, the Miami Dolphins. There is no drama here. Tua Tungavailoa, as long as the hip is good, he should be the pick here. Uh, Maybe you worry, like, could Justin Herbert have an amazing senior bowl week and jump into this spot? He absolutely could. Last year, at this time, we were telling a lot of people, hey, Daniel Jones be a first-round pick. A lot of folks did not believe it, and he went top ten. Justin Herbert's in a similar spot, but I think as long as Tua is healthy, this is a team that was giving clear signals that they were tanking for this player nine months ago. So I think as long as we're getting positive reports on Tua, we're probably going to see a Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tua Tungavailoa quarterback room next year in Miami. And don't forget, this is a team, they have two other picks in the first round, so they can be aggressive, like Connor said, trade up to three. The Giants won't trade it for because Dave Gettleman refuses to trade, but I think the Dolphins are one of the most logical teams to trade up in this draft. And even better, if you're a Dolphins fan listening to this show, you have two twos, so you can probably go from five to three for both those second-round picks. You keep all your first-rounders, which is the most important thing for them. Number six, the Los Angeles Chargers. This is another team that needs offensive line help, and these guys are going to come off the board fast and furious. I'm going Andrew Thomas here. You know, some people might think this is a little high for Thomas, but Matt, how many years do we see offensive tackles, you know, come off the board earlier than expected? I think we even saw it last year when you look at, you know, somebody like Caleb McGarry is an interesting one on the year. Mike McGlinchey yeah. went to the Niners, and that wasn't a bad choice. I'm just saying these guys go earlier than you expect. So six, the Chargers, Andrew Thomas. He's a really, really good run blocker. I still like him in pass protection. I don't know what's going to happen with their quarterback situation with Phillip Rivers, if he's going to be back or not. If he is, you got to protect him. If he's not, you got to protect the next guy. Uh, They have a good stable of running backs there. Even if they lose Melvin Gordon, I love Austin Eckler. And and I think this is just a no-brainer here because the Chargers, uh, this has to be the Giants, the Chargers, the Browns, the Jets. The Jaguars, these are teams that are just going to be gunning this offseason to fill their trenches, and somebody is not going to be a winner because there's just not enough guys. Right. I think with tackle and quarterback, we see a bit of a race to fill those spots in the top 10 because a lot of teams need quarterback. I mean, the Chargers need a quarterback. They, they also need an offensive tackle. So if you don't like the quarterbacks on the board, go tackle here. Number seven, the Carolina Panthers. They are starting over. David Tepper giving Matt Rule autonomy, really, to run this football team. When I look at them, I still think the Panthers need a quarterback. Cam Newton's contract situation is sticky. He's also been hurt often over the last year and a half. So I'm projecting them to move forward with Justin Herbert. And I've said before, there's a lot to like about this player. He has size. He And our friend Chris Sims used to say all the time, size is a trait. Herbert has a lot of it. He has arm strength. He has mobility. He can get outside the pocket and make plays. He's agile enough to pick up yards and the pocket breaks down. Now, what you don't like is he gets stuck on his first read sometimes. And there are others where he's just a little inconsistent throwing to the middle of the field. But I I do believe Herbert has enough traits that he's going to go top 10. Whether we like it or not, I I think it's time to just accept the fact that he's going to be an early pick in this draft. The Panthers need a quarterback. I think your hope is that Matt Rule, who has some experience coaching that position, can bring in a staff and can put a support system around Herbert. They have Chris McCaffrey. They have DJ Moore. They have Curtis Samuel. Hopefully you can put enough of a team around Herbert that you can maximize the gifts that he does bring to the table. And it's going to be interesting the next mock draft show we do because we're going to hear so many so many you know rumors and buzz and nuggets about Herbert at the Senior Bowl. There's going to be a lot of takeaways from how he is in practice, and I think this mock draft you're going to see a shift in the quarterbacks, or it's just going to solidify where they already are. Number eight, the Arizona Cardinals. They get the best wide receiver. Well, it's going to be interesting with C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy. He's the best receiver in the draft. I like C.D. a lot. I really, really do. But I think for Arizona, this will be their top-graded wide receiver. It fits their offense to a T. Jerry Judy at eight overall. Kyler Murray quietly played very, very well this year. He really had a great rookie season. I thought Cliff Kingsbury actually exceeded expectations in his first year for a rebuilding Arizona team. Chandler Jones had a million sacks like he always does. But this is a team, as Larry Fitzgerald gets older, they needed number one for the future in this offense, and Jerry Judy is that guy. Yeah, and you know there has been a lot of talk about CeeDee Lamb versus Jerry Judy. And my concerns, I don't have a team taking CeeDee Lamb, so I'll say I'm now. I've said this a lot with CeeDee Lamb. Most of his catches are 
crossing routes, middle of the field, which that's okay. He's really good at it. He's physical. I love his catch radius. I love how he is after the catch. But when I see a receiver who I question their speed and they're constantly running crossing routes, I get a little bit worried. And I think that's why the combine is going to be big for CeeDee Lamb because we do want to see how fast he is, how loose his hips are. want to watch him run a full route tree, something he really didn't do at Oklahoma. So that's why Jerry Judy is still number one overall for me at receiver. Number nine, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Could they really get this lucky? Jeff Okuda is sitting on the board <laughs> no, at number nine answer. overall. You lose Jalen Ramsey. You just replace him with a quieter version of the same dude. Six foot one, 200 pounds. Jeff Okuda has everything you look for in a star corner prospect. Size, speed, instincts, toughness, ball skills. There's a reason that we have all said as hosting the show. He's one of the best corners we've ever evaluated. Sometimes people do things and they just make it look easy and we forget how great they are because of it. That is Jeff Okuda. He makes everything at the corner position look easy. I'll tell you, if he falls to nine, I hope the Jets trade up for him because he has no business falling to nine. But the way the board falls, it makes you kind of believe it can happen. It's crazy. He could go three. We see these freaking quarterbacks. This happens every year with the quarterbacks. And then Isaiah Simmons has just been a rocket ship with his stock. And all the offensive linemen, people are going to reach on him. And that's fine. There's a need there. And Chase Young's a great player. So when the odd man out is is Jerry Judy or Jeff Okuda. That's how it yeah. goes. So it's it's going to be fascinating to me. And then after this pick is when the board starts to take a turn. But 10, the Cleveland Browns, I'm not that confident he's going to be in the draft. But until he says he's not, I'm putting him <laughs> here. And that's Tristan Wirfs. I, there is a lot of buzz around Tristan Wirfs, whether it's that he he made a promise to get his degree and finish school or it's tough for me, Matt. I, I think with Worfs, he feels like a lock is a top 15 pick. That's a lot of money to pass up. But live your life. Do your thing. We'll see the decision he makes. The fact it's gone on this long shows it's become a lot more difficult of a decision than he expected. But for the Cleveland Browns, we said it after the Kevin Stefanski hire. This is a team that needs offensive line help, and they get the last of the top three offensive tackles here right before the Jets at 11 would pounce on them. Yeah, I think Tristan Wirfs, you know, I, I don't, I have no idea what he's going to do. And I, I imagine it's a very tough decision for him, for his family. Uh, if he enters, I think he'll be a top 10 pick. Number 11, your New York Jets. And I'm probably going to just make some friends in New York today. Oh. I do not have them going CD Lamb because it's a mock draft, which uh, for me, I try to do what I think the teams will do, not what I would do. And so I am not going CD Lamb here, not going Henry Ruggs, not going T. Higgins. I'm going AJ Epinesa, and I know there's going to be people throwing things at their radio or however you listen to this. Run faster on the treadmill if you're mad at me. But looking at Joe Douglas, I cannot see this man prioritizing the wide receiver position in round one. So in a real draft, the Jets would probably trade back in this spot. Or like you said, Connor, they probably would try to trade up to jump and get a Jeff Akuda or one of the tackles in this draft. We could see them do that. But at 11, if this is how the board falls, if all three offensive tackles are off the board, if Jeff Okuda's off the board, I think you have to look at A.J. Epines and say, okay, does he fit Greg Williams' defense? Uh, Greg Williams is smart enough to work guys into his scheme. It's not a true 4-3 or 3-4. We see every team running basically nickel 75 to 80% of the time now. I think Epinesa, putting him next to Quinnen, I know people are going to have flashbacks like we've seen this show before. I think these (laughs) players are different, and I think this front office is different. I think Greg Williams is different. So I know it's not going to be the pick that gets Jets fans excited, but I'm trying to be realistic here, not make you guys feel good about your day. I absolutely hate it, but I also don't think you're wrong. I I don't think this team will take a wide receiver at 11. I think they'll look – they have three picks on day two. They have a high second rounder. And they have two high third rounders because they have the New York Giants third round pick. So I think they'll wait till then to take one of the wide receivers. But the reason I hate it, Matt, is that you need to if you're not getting a CUDA, you need to figure out a way to help Sam Darnold. Like they they have guaranteed money tied to Henry Anderson. They have Quinton Williams. They have Steve money tied to Steve McClendon. They have Nathan Shepard, who played really well. I hope that. Epinesa shows up to the combine at like 265 and everyone's shocked and it's like oh he can line up out wide and rush the quarterback then I'd be all in on that pick yeah it wouldn't surprise me if he does that or 
I mean, he might come in at 295 and he, he's a D tackle, you know, and everybody's <laughs> Shit, like, yeah. oh, never mind, you know, but I, I I've wanted to do this because I, I do believe this could happen. If the three tackles are gone, if Worfs had been there, I would have drafted him. But if the three tackles are gone, the Jets find themselves in a position that is tough. And I know in a lot of mock draft Mondays, we'll say, oh, well, wide receiver. Joe happening. Douglas is not doing that. So it's t- I think it's time. It's. Middle of January, it's time to start getting realistic with these instead of like, oh, well, here's the biggest need. We'll just throw a player in there. So all that said, you now get to be on the clock with the Raiders. Listen, it's all true. And I'm glad that you brought up here is the biggest need and a player that they would like. And the Raiders would be doing dances in their war room if they get C.D. Lamb, because this is the type of wide receiver that I think John Gruden would love to have. In that room, I think it would be very interesting between Lamb or Ruggs because Gruden has made it very clear they need deep speed. And if that's the case, you go get Henry Ruggs. I also could see this being a team that makes a contract offer to Robbie Anderson in free agency because they tried to trade for him a couple times with the New York Jets. So the Raiders are interesting. John Gruden has been vocal about them needing help in that wide receiver room. And if a guy like CeeDee Lamb falls to them at 12, there's no Isaiah Simmons on the board. There's no A.J. Epinesa on the board. There's no Jeff Okuda on the board. The quarterbacks are gone if they wanted to take a swing and develop a guy behind Derek Carr. I just can't go any other direction other than CeeDee Lamb at 12 for the Raiders, which I think is just a great win for them. It is a huge need for them. It is a very, very good pick. Number 13, the Indianapolis Colts. Jordan Love is my pick here, and I'll tell you, I do not have him graded in the first round. That means absolutely nothing, because if a team falls in love with him in the Senior Bowl next week, he's going to be drafted early. And like we've said with Justin Herbert, like we just said with the offensive tackles, some positions are so important, guys are going to get drafted earlier, especially because of need. Jordan Love could be picked 12, and it wouldn't surprise me. He'd be picked 13 here to the Colts, 14 to the Bucks. I do think there's a strong chance that he goes first round. With teams fall in love with his arm strength, his mobility, you watch the 2018 tape, Matt Wells had him looking like Pat Mahomes. You watch 2019, and you're like, what the hell happened? He lost his receivers. He lost his coach. I'm not trying to make excuses for the guy. I'm just telling you what goes on in these scouting conversations of, man, Jordan Love looked really, really good in 2018, which is why we talked him up a lot headed into the season. Fell apart a little bit this year. I thought he was really forcing things, trying to make something happen with a bad cast of characters. But we've seen this show before. Josh Allen did the same thing at Wyoming, still went top 10. I think Jordan Love, next week at the Senior Bowl, his climb is going to start to where he ends up a top 15 pick. I mean, nobody helped Daniel Jones out his last year at Duke. We see this show year after year with quarterbacks. And sometimes they fail miserably and sometimes they pan out. I think with both Josh and Daniel Jones, Josh Allen and Daniel Jones were we're still waiting to see. We've seen roller coaster games week in and week out from them, some great, some bad. And I think Jordan Love, I will never sit here and laugh at someone when they suggest a quarterback will go in the first round that you wouldn't expect. No. I'll never do it because, number one, Jordan Love has the traits to go in round one. Number two, this happens every single year, and he's one of the guys that will be watching every single rep closely from Mobile. So 14, the Bucks, they're sitting here. No Jordan Love, no Justin Herbert, no Tua Tungavailoa, and definitely no Joe Burrow. That's a pipe dream for them. And we don't know what they're going to do with Jameis Winston this offseason. I'm not a believer that it's a lock that he's back. I want to be very clear about this right now. Yeah. I don't think they're going to extend him long term, and I don't know if he'll play on the franchise tag. I don't even know if they'll want to pay him at the franchise tag number. The, the Bucks are fascinating to me. And I don't have the solution for quarterback right now. That's going to be its own segment someday. So I'm going with Derek Brown, the best player on the board right now. And if you're a Bucks fan and you don't like that, listen, Derek Brown has no business falling outside of the top 10. He's here at 14. You have Derek Brown and freaking Vita Vea up front as your Pretty defensive nasty. line. I'll tell you who's going to be sitting there smiling. Todd Bowles, who might be the future coach of this team one day when Bruce Arians retires. Yeah, it says a lot about Grant Delpit that he's been slotted in this spot all year and is not the pick. Derek Brown is by far a BPA. 15, the Denver Broncos. I believe that they have their guy in Drew Locke. I think they have a, a number one receiver in Cortland Sutton. We'll see what Noah Fant becomes. I love Dalton Reisner. On defense, the team, there's going to be some turnover. But I did not have a player graded highly enough on defense to draft here. We'll see what happens with Chris Harris Jr., who's a free agent. But I'm going to give them what I think they lack on offense, and that is a home run hitter. So Henry Ruggs the third from Alabama. 
And his 4-2 speed would be stretching the field for Drew Locke, who has a very, very strong arm. This is the type of matchup. Like, Elway's got his guy now. Let's see if he can build a team around them like he did back when he had Peyton Manning. I think Henry Ruggs stretches the field really well for the Broncos next year. Yeah, him and Cortland Sutton, that would be electric. It really would. I would love to watch that. And I, I really believe in, you know, investing in players around Drew Locke and seeing what you have. In him, And it's going to be very interesting with them making offensive coordinator change as well to see hopefully more jumps that Drew Locke takes. Or yeah. maybe less. They want big plays. That's why they hired Pat Shermer. It's all about yeah. big, explosive plays. Yeah, no, he likes to do a draw on third and, and eight. So we'll <laughs> see about that. All right, 16, the Atlanta Falcons. Jeff Gladney, maybe the biggest riser in this mock draft here. The more Gladney tape I watch, the more I like. I, I think he's going to run at least a 4-4. He might be faster. He might be in the 4-3s. He's sticky. He's got good length. He plays the football in the air. It's something that a lot of young corners don't do. I love Jeff Gladney. I think the Falcons absolutely need to take a corner in round one and they need to do it. They need to not even think about it because after this, they're all going to come off the board right away. Yeah, got to go corner here if you want one, uh, especially with Paulson Adebo going back to school. All right, let's take a break. 17 to 32 coming up right after this. We are back. The Cowboys are on the clock, and we are going to rip through the second half of this draft. The Cowboys are 17. Defensive line, Javon Kinlaw. We'll see what happens with their 26 free agents, but I feel like this is the best player available. They could go so many spots here. Receiver, corner, safety, but I think interior D-line is going to be very, very important for this defense moving forward. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. Kinlaw should have a really, really big week. He really should. He's going to win a lot of one-on-ones. 18, the Miami Dolphins. They got Tua. Now get him a wide receiver, Justin Jefferson. You saw what this guy did all season. And this guy, I mean, low-key, Matt, besides Joe Burrow, this guy might have been the best player in the college football playoff. Honestly, and then Jamar Chase as well. It's hard. There's too many good players on LSU at this point. Justin Jefferson, great route runner. He's got a great catch radius. He's just a reliable wide receiver. You saw what he did after the catch. This is a no-brainer. Him and Devontae Parker would be your future wide receiver duo in Miami. Number 19, the Las Vegas Raiders. They went wide receiver uh, earlier in this draft. Here they have to go linebacker. We know the two biggest needs on this team. It's just a matter who's on the board, where they fill them. But I'm going Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma. Maybe forgotten about a little bit as a junior who declared. But, man, he had an amazing two-year run at Oklahoma. He has sideline-to-sideline speed. And I've said before, Isaiah Simmons is like, he's a predator. I don't even know what position the guy plays. Kenneth Murray is more of like your prototypical linebacker with speed, coverage ability. He, he stops the run very well. You can look at his, his game against Army in 2018 where he had like 25 tackles. So Kenneth Murray to the Raiders to finally solve their problems in the middle of the field. I love it. I, I think Kenneth Murray has you know well earned a spot in the top 20 with how he played this year, and he's going to test off the charts. Number 20, Jacksonville Jaguars. They got really lucky in the top 10. Jeff Akuda falls to them. That's a home run pick. Now you got to wonder what's going to happen with Yannick Ngakwe. Are they going to trade him for picks? Are they going to give him a long-term extension? I'm going to stick with LSU here and go with edge pass rusher Kalevon Chason, whether they lose Ngakwe or not. I think you saw what this guy did in the championship game. He flies off the edge. Kind of reminds me of Brian Burns. I don't think he's as complete as Brian Burns was coming out of the draft, and that's why he's in the 20 range rather than the top 10 range. But I think for Jacksonville, these two pieces would be basically a defense fully rebuilt and restocked. Yeah, I think with Chase on, the biggest questions will be injury. You know, he's a redshirt sophomore who we're projecting to declare, but you know, he has been banged up, and he was a little bit slow to get started this year. Once he did, I mean, just in the college football playoffs, I mean, he was dominant, which, you know, I don't know if you remember when Cleveland Farrell first jumped on the scene. It was like, oh, the college football playoffs, this guy was unstoppable. He went back to school, ended up the number four pick in the draft. So we'll see what Chase on does with his decision coming up. He's got uh, two days uh, as you're listening to this. 21, the Philadelphia Eagles. They need a wide receiver, y'all. Nelson Aguilar is a free agent and not that good. Alshon is my guy, but he's been hurt so much and is getting to that plateau. We didn't see any production from the rookie class. I mean, Greg Ward was their dude, but we're still waiting for the rookies to acclimate, uh, to get out on the field and make something of it. But I'm going to go with T. Higgins here. And I know a lot of Eagles fans have been in my mentions and, and be like, don't we, didn't we just draft this same guy uh, last year? And I don't think so. When I, I look at Higgins, no. I think he has a little bit more speed. He has a little bit more separation ability than J.J. Arcega-Whiteside 
who was more of a possession guy. So when I look at Higgins, and I think we saw it Monday night, his ability to separate. He can make things happen over the top. I mean, J.J. Arcega was like a 4-6 guy. I don't think Higgins will. I think he'll be a, a low 4-5 four, four, five. Five guy. Yeah. But you saw it on the explosive run, 36 yards, finished it with power. Uh, the block down the field, which shouldn't have been called a penalty, but was. I love the way Higgins plays football. It's unfortunate he got hurt. because I think once that happened, the Clemson offense really fell off a cliff a little bit. But I like Higgins. Catch radius is there. Body type is on point. And I think he's faster than we're giving him credit for. 22 Buffalo Bills. They need a big-bodied wide receiver. And, and a lot of the guys have come off the board. But LaVisca Chenault is still here. I mean, he runs like a running back. We've seen him stretch the field vertically. We've seen him play wildcat on jet sweeps. He does a little bit of everything, Chanel. For Josh Allen, John Brown had a great year. They like Cole Beasley in the slot there. They have some pieces for him, but they desperately need to get a big target for their young quarterback, and Chenault is the best one on the board right now. Yeah, a little bit of a run at receiver, and I think we will see this happen in late April as well. And it's unfortunate because a lot of teams at the end of round one need a receiver. 23, the New England Patriots, if they don't sign Hunter Henry in free agency, which I've heard a lot of agents are speculating about already. It's like, ah, A.J. Green and Hunter Henry are going to the Patriots. It's like, ah, well, that makes sense. If they don't don't make those moves. Two guys always Cole Komet. Right. <laughs> Typical Patriots, right? Uh, number 23, uh, this is where Cole Komet goes. Man, he is he's it for me at tight end. He can do everything. He can block, dominates the middle of the field. The catch radius is huge. This year he broke his collarbone, so the numbers aren't going to be impressive. So if you Google him, don't look at the stats. Go check out some of the, the game tape if you can find it. Cole Komet is exactly what this team needs in the middle of the field, whether it's Brady or Stidham or... Whoever, you know, Dak Prescott, as I, I think T.O. said. <laughs> Stop. Whoever it is, man, at quarterback next year, they need Cole Komet. This offense is not the same without a tight end in the middle oh, of the field. Oh, goodness. Phillip Rivers, Pat Mahomes, who knows who's going to play for the Patriots right? next year. They'll probably just find a way to trade up for Joe Burrow. <laughs> Which I was laughing at somebody that asked you, what would the trade have to be for the Bengals to move out of number one? Yeah. Somebody was like, how about 12 and Derek Carr? It's like, are you... <laughs> Come on. I Come do on, like guys. the endless hope. Uh yeah. Yeah. I don't I mean Pat Mahomes, that's the only trade that would get them out of Joe Burrow. So 24 right? yeah. the New Orleans Saints. But you have here. to pay Pat, so maybe I'm not. going with one know. of your guys, cornerback CJ Henderson. Uh, yeah. Listen, I think Henderson has been up and down, but I think he's a really, really athletic corner uh, that can continue to develop here. And the Saints, they need a number two corner. Uh, they really do. You kind of saw it in the playoffs. We've talked about this show a lot, uh, how they need a number two wide receiver as well. I just feel more confident in them finding that guy elsewhere, whether it is later in the draft, most likely, because there are going to be a lot of good players in that spot. And we've seen players transition to that New Orleans offense so easily. So for me, you keep the run on corner going here before your SOL and you take CJ Henderson. Yeah, and I think the Saints are, like you said, they're in a they're in a unique spot. Both quarterbacks are free agents. Actually, Taysom Hill is a restricted free agent, but they're going to bring him back. But they only have five picks in this draft. So I feel like they have to prioritize. And for me, corners always going to be more important than wide receiver because I mean they just had one of the most prolific offenses in NF in the NFL. And and we're still waiting for a number two receiver to develop. Maybe Traquan Smith takes that step. But if they pick again at 88 overall. And then at 120, the depth of receiver in this draft is much better than the depth at corner. And smart teams are going to notice that. And I think we see teams jump on corners here, which is exactly where I'm going at 25 with the Minnesota Vikings. It worked when you drafted Stephon Diggs. Bring in little big brother, Trevon Diggs. He can be what really, I mean, what they had in Xavier Rhodes before somehow he was like a forgot how Ron stars took his talent, right? I mean, it's just horrible what has happened to him. But Trevon Diggs, one thing he can do is run. 6'2", 200 pounds he can run. I think his technique is raw, but that Vikings defense is a pretty easy transition from what Alabama does to what the Vikings do. I think think Diggs makes a lot of sense here. It's a little bit of a reach for me, but we've seen that run at this position. And I don't have any offensive lineman valued in this spot. I don't have any quarterbacks valued in this spot, which would be interesting with Cousins entering a lame duck season. But Diggs makes a lot of sense for the Vikings. Without a doubt. I mean, when you look at it, Diggs, Terrell, you know, those are guys that are going to fit the profile here for the Vikings. And they'll desperately, desperately need to grab a corner. So 26, the Miami Dolphins. This is their third pick. So they've gotten Tua. They've gotten Justin Jefferson. And now they flip to the other side of the ball to make Brian Flores happy, and that is pass rusher from Penn State, 
Yitor Gross Matos. And I think when you look at Gross Matos, he fits in Flores' defense very well. I still think this is an yep. ascending player. He has times where he could take over the game and he can make tackles look foolish. And he has times where you're wondering where he is. And that's the life of a pass rusher. It happens. But I think his projection at the next level is a high-end starter at a premium position. And I think Miami, with their last first-round pick, would be all over that. Yeah, and with Miami, you know, they're they're going to be a base 3-4 team. So he has the right size and speed to rush off the edge. Number 27, the Seattle Seahawks. Jadavian Clowney is a free agent. They would like to keep him. But if they can't, and maybe even if they can Edge is in need here. LJ Collier did nothing in his rookie season. Terrell Lewis fits the body prototype that they want. 6'5", 260. He, we're going to see him at the Senior Bowl next week. I think he is going to go off in ways that probably make him unavailable at 27 overall because of the premium at that position. The biggest questions with Terrell Lewis are injury history. People at Alabama for three years now have been telling me how special this guy is. It's just a matter of getting him on the field consistently to unlock those talents. If that happens for him, I think he'd be a very special pass rusher. So if Clowney's back, you got two stud speed rushers, and they both bring power. If Clowney's not back, this is your guy that you earmark to replace him. Yeah, I think with Lewis, once again, I mean, he could put on a show when he's right. But Alabama, there are scouts in the league that will have concerns taking banged-up Alabama players because we've seen it bite a lot of teams in the past. And it's just something that it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. 28, the Baltimore Ravens here. Donovan Peoples-Jones. I would have liked the Ravens to get one of those edge guys that just went off the board. I would have loved them to get Kenneth Murray. That's not happening here. So get a big-bodied wide receiver for Lamar Jackson. And you sit here and you Google Peoples-Jones and you say, this guy had 34 catches for 438 yards this year. How is he a first-round pick? He's a top-flight player, a talented, talented player, and he showed up against a very good secondary in Ohio State. His quarterback held him back all year, a former five-star recruit loaded with talent. He'll be better at the next level, and I think when you look at how Peoples-Jones and Hollywood Brown complement each other, this Baltimore offense can take an even bigger step with that much firepower at wide receiver next year. Baltimore's a tough team because like Matt Judon's going to be a free agent, but there's not an edge here that fits that mold of rusher. Uh, I think Zach Bond would be interesting, but they're very different guys. A middle linebacker, I think it's a little early for Malik Harrison, so they do get in a spot where this would probably be a trade maybe back even in James a real draft. Yeah, maybe our guy James Lynch. It actually makes sense with Michael Pierce being a free agent. Number 29, the Tennessee Titans. Derrick Henry's a free agent. Ryan Tannehill's a free agent. And I am watching this closely to see which guy gets the franchise tag. I think they want Tannehill's 32. I think they want to lock him up for three or four years. Derrick Henry's run the last, I mean, really the last year and a half has just been historic. What he's done in the playoffs has been amazing. But if they are not able to keep him, Running back becomes a gigantic priority for this team. The offense runs through the backfields. I'm going to give them J.K. Dobbins. This might be pessimistic of me, but I could see Derrick Henry at, what is he, 26 years old, getting a contract offer that the Titans just don't want to match for a guy who's had so many carries in high school, college, now the NFL, where he had 303 carries this year. He's already had... Uh, 800 carries in his NFL career. So I think that you have to be aware of that. We've talked about this a couple shows ago. Love Derrick Henry. Will happily admit how wrong I was about him succeeding. But I think you have to be smart and evaluate this with your head, not your heart. And with J.K. Dobbins, he's going to bring a pass-catching element to the table that Derrick Henry does not. Only 18 catches this year for Derrick Henry. So I think J.K. Dobbins would even open up this offense a little bit more. I hope they find a way to get it done. I really do. And I think when you look at it with Derrick Henry, he just turned 26. So And I know the mileage is high. But I, I love his fit in that Tennessee offense. And I'll say this. If they don't and they make the hard decision, you get J.K. Dobbins, I bet he has 1,300 yards as a rookie. I do. I think it's yeah. – I really do. And I, think, and I will add, right tackle is a sneaky need for that's them. That's right. Because they did not pick up Jack Conklin's fifth year. So this could be a spot for, like, Mekki Becton. This could be a spot for uh, – let me pull up my list here. This could be a spot for you know, Austin Jackson, Josh Jones, Isaiah Wilson. I have four offensive tackles sitting there at 39, 40, 41, and 44 overall. So d I wouldn't sneak on right tackle if they can keep Derrick Henry. Are you just lower on Trey Adams because the medical issues? Yeah. 
Yep. And I thought he didn't move as well yeah, this year. That's like, fair. He, he just looked stiff to me, which you got a guy with back issues and then he he looks stiff. I think Senior Bowl is going to be really important for him because we're going to be able to put him in that little bubble, like I like to say, and just watch him move and and see how well he handles space and speed and 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 how how stiff or not stiff he looks. And I'm glad he's going because of that because it's as yes. an offensive lineman it's risky when you're in those one-on-ones. It's not an easy place to showcase yourself all the time. So I do think medically the medical problems keep Adams out of round 1. I'm really curious to see is he a top of round 2 guy? Is he a round 5 guy because of those issues? So we'll keep an eye on that. 30 the Green Bay Packers a lot of wide receivers are gone. I'm going to go with KJ Hamler here. I think his speed in this offense, you have Devontae Adams, his route running, Hamler's deep speed, Aaron Rodgers, this Green Bay team has been phenomenal this year. That defense is incredible. They have a great run game with Aaron Jones. They hit a home run drafting Elkin Jenkins last year. There is not an offensive lineman for them to take in this spot as some of those guys are getting older in that group. So take Hamler, who might be one of the most underrated players in this entire draft class right now. He really might be. And I've talked a lot about this with you guys uh, that when you look at it, this receiver class it's a stack, a lot like the, the receivers. So I have uh, K.J. Hamler, Justin Jefferson, Gabe Davis from UCF, Jalen Rieger, Brandon Ayuk. Like I have those guys all kind of together right now, Donovan Peoples-Jones, where just waiting for more film, waiting for more opportunity to evaluate them. We're going to see Ayuk in Mobile next week. So there's, there's just a lot of guys that are kind of stuck there together where the Packers can probably get the best of, like, you would call this tier three at receiver. And and what they really need is they need speed. They need someone who can help and stretch the field. And I think Hamler can definitely do that. Number 31, the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going to go A.J. Terrell here. And I know a lot of people who watch Monday night are probably like, what the fuck are you doing? A.J. Terrell is better than he showed last night. I think he got put in a situation against a receiver in Jamar Chase who is just a freak show, and he, you know what? He panicked. He didn't play his best football. I actually wonder if A.J. Terrell goes back to school to try to work on this, but, man, I, I really like him. I liked him last year. I remember watching Tray, Trayvon Mullen and thinking, like, A.J. Terrell's going to be a pretty good player. He has length, and it's funny. In the first quarter, everybody was like, you're too low on this guy. you got to get him up. <laughs> By the end of the game, people are like, why do you have a top 40 grade on this guy? So it, it is crazy because in, in the first quarter, you saw the length, the ball skills. You know, he had a great pass play, uh, breakup in the first quarter. There are definitely, you know, there's going to be some bad on his tape. I, I think with Clemson, they have no safety help, which I don't know if that got talked about on the broadcast last night or not, but they have no safeties. And guys like AJ get put out on an island, and you know what? You're going to lose that every now and then. He's not Derek Stingley Jr. I'm sorry, but he is a very good player. The Chiefs in this spot should honestly try to trade back. They have needs at corner linebacker, uh, interior offensive line. They're going to need another running back at some point, and they don't have many draft picks. So a trade back is probably what happens. But if we're stuck here, uh, then I think A.J. Terrell, he's the best corner on the board by far. 32 San Francisco 49ers, your 49ers, Matt. This is where Grant Delpit finally gets out of the green room, makes his way up the stage. It's a long wait for Delpit, but let's just call it like we see it. Even though we've stood by Delpit this year, it was not a good year for Grant Delpit. It was not a good year. I don't know if he was hurt and playing hurt throughout it. I I just, I can't figure it out. I'm going to go back and watch the sophomore year tape, and then I'll finish the rest of this year's tape and probably find common ground somewhere in between. The Niners need a safety, and I still believe Grant Delpit is a very talented player that will thrive under Robert Sala in this defense where you have a great front. You have some players and a veteran in Richard Sherman that's not going to let you slack off right there. Yep. If there's a landing spot that can get the most out of Grant Delpit, number one, him being picked 32nd, that's called being humbled. And we don't know if the Niners are going to win the Super Bowl. But if he's picked outside the top 20, that's being humbled. And I do think they'd maximize his talent, and this would just be such a good fit for each side. I would be pretty happy with this. Uh, if Joukowsky Tart could stay healthy, man, you have Grant Delpit and Robert Sala's defense. I mean, he, he's going to use him like a Jamal Adams, yeah. like a Derwin James, like a Cam Chancellor. So he's going to put him in some really, really good fits. So love that pick. Let us know what you guys thought. Leave it your Apple Apple podcast review. I almost said iTunes. Goodness. Leave your Apple podcast review. Tweet us at Stick to Football. 
Instagram, smoke signals. Tell us next week in Mobile that you hate it if you want. A lot of ways to get a hold of us. When we come back, we're going to ask you your questions in a little segment we like to call Draft on Draft. It is Draft on Draft time. Don't forget, you can ask these questions in person at Draft Picks Tap Room in Mobile, Alabama, Monday and Wednesday of Senior Bowl week. That's next week, 7.30 p.m. You don't have to get there early. Get there at 7.30, come in. Tab's probably going to be open at the bar. Don't tell my bosses I said that. And you can just have a good time. We're going to be hanging out with you guys, recording the show, and then uh, taking your draft on draft questions to end the show. So get those ready if you're going to be a mobile. First question, Connor, from our guy, Dam Supa. Explain the mutual benefit for the Bengals and Joe Burrow being at the Senior Bowl. So, I mean, we've run through this a couple times, but I, I think it's important to talk about it again because people uh, tend to get upset when we say that he should be there. I think the biggest thing is you want to... Jim Nagy said it well Friday. You want to jumpstart that relationship. Go ahead and start building that camaraderie, learning the offense. Because while unlikely, there is a chance that Justin Herbert could impress them enough in that week of being hands-on together that he could jump them, could jump a Joe Burrow. I'm not saying it will happen. I'm just saying that is a possibility. So if you want to talk about the benefits, it's getting that relationship started now. Also, you know, you want to compete. All of us in the media can sit here and say Joe Burrow should be the first quarterback drafted. You know, last year, until Kyler Murray declared, we were all saying it should be Dwayne Haskins. He was the third quarterback drafted. So I think it's easy in January to have a quarterback board. It could be very different than the collective NFL. It could be very different than individual NFL teams. So while Joe Burrow looks like a lock, we joke about it all the time. He is for us, definitely. I think the Bengals, you know, they are starting this evaluation process. Uh, Nagy says it all the time. The draft starts in Mobile. So if you're Burrow, you just got to have that competitive fire in you is probably like, man, I want to go down there and prove this fool wrong (laughs) and show the Bengals that they need to draft me. I think on the other side of things, Matt, for Burrow, say he's penciled in as the number one pick already by the Bengals. This is a player that's been in college for five years right now. You kind of want to get a jump start and learn what it's like working with an NFL staff because naturally those guys operate differently than college guys. So I think for and not all the time because some worked at both levels of football, but some not. Zach Taylor's a younger guy. Uh, you know, I can't speak to a lot about how his staff is personally, but I think when you look at it for Burrow, it's a nice opportunity before you even enter the league officially after draft night by getting some time with them and just seeing, hey, what are their expectations out of me right now? What do they want to know from me? What do I, you know, what should I look to work on when I don't get to spend time with them? So I think there's a lot of advantages for each side as Burrow takes this next step and the Bengals hope that they have their franchise quarterback of the future. Yeah, and I mean, there's just a a lot, lot to gain, but I mean, there is a risk. I mean, we saw the rib shot last night. He seemed a little bit, uh, tender at times, so I I don't know if we'll see him there. Uh, if whether he goes or not, uh, I'm, he's still quarterback one for me. Billy Ismail Mustafa, so that's a great name. What would it cost? Slash, how real, realistic is it for the Patriots to trade up to three and take Tua? So to move from twenty three to three, oh my gosh, that is going to take a lot. Um, I mean, whether you use the old. Jimmy Johnson draft trade value chart or (laughs) the new age one. Yeah, teams don't really use that anymore. On the chart, three would be worth 2,200 points. New England's pick at 23 is worth 760. And the way it usually, like, so future first round picks are basically worth the same because you kind of, you like, you assume that teams are going to kind of stay, stay flat. So three ones? Three ones is what it would take based on the chart. So three ones. And they don't Ooh. have, I mean, obviously, they don't have that. They are going to get two threes as, in terms of uh, comp picks this year for losing Trent Brown and Trey Flowers. But even if you did that, like, you're trading your next three first-round picks, basically. Well, what would what players would Matt Patricia want? That's They don't have any players. That's, that's <laughs> like, what you, like, really, uh, not, like, really trying to be funny. The Patriots don't have any players. Like, Joe mean, Thune's a free agent. They're not trying to find that offense. No, no. And on defense, like Kyle Van Oy's a free agent. Jamie Collins is a free agent. Wow. And the rest are just kind of dudes, and they're all old. So you don't really need Sonny Michelle. You have Carry on Johnson. So you're you're not you're not trading players. No, there's no player that goes into the trade. Wow. Nah. So you can't do it. Basically, I mean, three first round picks. It would be something if that happened. How pissed and that's the to Dolphins get a quarterback 
who has had two ankle injuries and a hip fracture. So if I, the problem is for me, I'd rather move back to five and take the two twos in the draft. Here's yeah. something else I want to emphasize with the Lions right now. They're getting fired after next year if they don't make the playoffs. So it doesn't matter how many ones you have in 2030. You know what I mean? Like, no, right. That's yeah. the way they need to operate right now, where they need traffics now for this year to be really good next year. So, right. It's, this it's a isn't a. Shot. This isn't a Cleveland Browns, let's get a ton of draft picks and it's okay if we suck, uh, which got everyone fired. But, yeah, it's it's a great idea. And I know like everyone, we get hit with these all the time. Like It's almost like there's a conspiracy that the Patriots will somehow get a great quarterback. Uh, they, they might not. You know, none of the guys that they flipped, Garoppolo, Brissett, they weren't early. You know, they weren't first-round picks. So maybe Jarrett Stidham's the future there. Gustavo Olguin. Outside of the quarterbacks, who benefited the most from the national title game? That we could go through a list of ten players. Realistically, on this, for me, it is. I mean, Isaiah Simmons yep. played like Isaiah Simmons. I just think a lot of people hadn't seen him play yet, so it was like he. That is who he is. I thought Patrick <laughs> Queen and Clyde Edwards-Alaire were the two guys that really stood out. And we don't get a chance to pat ourselves on the back a lot in this business because we're more wrong than right. But uh, I said it on the Monday show. My guy Richard Lawrence. I was like. He's going to make plays. I thought he had a really good game. Not, not a splashy game, but a really good game stopping the run. So I thought Queen and Edwards Alaire, though, were the two standouts outside of, I mean, Jamar Chase, obviously, but he's not draft eligible. And Derek Stingley Jr. is not draft eligible. But of the eligible guys, those two were, were the ones that I really enjoyed watching. Without a doubt on Patrick Queen. What a great game for him. And a low-key one, because unfortunately they had to get away from him as they started just throwing the ball. Travis Etienne played pretty well. I, I mean, 15 carries, 78 yards. He did. Over five, he did. Over five yards a carry against LSU. I want to make that very clear, against LSU. And he had five catches. So when Etienne got the ball, he was really good last night. I, I'm, I love Travis Etienne. I just, I, I hope he declares. He ran with more power last yes. night than I expected. And I, you know, I've told you guys all season, I just want to see him roll with some power. Well, he did. So thank you for reading my tweets, Travis Etienne. Last question from Aaron Yeats. Raiders have three third-round picks, plus needs at wide receiver and linebacker. Who are some third-round linebackers and receivers who could be there? Now, we, Aaron, if you listen to the top of the show, we expect them to go this position <laughs> Round pretty one. early in the draft, but I like this question because too often we get stuck talking about the top guys in the draft. So round three, um, when you look at the, well, where do you want to start? Let's start at linebacker round three. I like Jordan Brooks from Texas Tech a lot. We're going to see him next week. He has the type of range and the ability to play all three downs that y'all need at the linebacker position. So I think he's definitely a fit. Logan Wilson from Wyoming, another senior bowl guy. He's going to run well. Troy Dye, Evan Weaver. Evan Weaver is the one for me. Yep, and Troy Dye is a little bit of a smaller guy, so probably more of a coverage backer. Uh, and then a sleeper for you, Akeem Davis-Gaither from App State. Yes. I think he's going to look really, really good in Mobile as well. So those would be my linebackers. Receiver, uh, if you start in round three, I think you probably start with Michael Pittman Jr. He could push up, but there are enough speed questions there. Uh, you can look at uh, – I'm scrolling through my list, so I apologize. If you're watching on YouTube, guys. you can see this. Yeah, Lynn Bowden Jr. Uh, I think has a chance to go round three. Uh, Chase Claypool, Devin Duvernay, uh, those are the receivers that I have there. Denzel Mims is probably a round four guy for me. Same with Juan Jennings. At Tennessee, Van Jefferson at Florida. I think Van Jefferson could have a really good week because he's a good route runner. Yep. But it's you know there's a lot of depth at wide receiver. Obviously, the thing is with all those players we just mentioned, I could poke five holes in them as a prospect. So when you look at Jerry Judy, it's like oh he body catches sometimes. That's your only complaint. When you get down to Van Jefferson, you know, or Denzel Mims, you got a, a lot more complaints about those guys. So you're not getting that immediate projection. Where do you think uh, Colin Johnson goes? I think he goes day three, and wow. a, a lot of people get on me because, oh, I'm a Texas fan. I think Colin Johnson probably goes round five. He is not going to run well. I want to be proven wrong. I'll say this. Colin, when he's been on the field at Texas, has been amazing. The last two years, he has barely been on the field, and I think he's probably a 4'6 guy in the 40. He's just going to be stiff. He's 6'6". Six, six, he's 215. So in the right scheme... Let him be a jump ball player. He's really good on the back shoulder fade, but he's just, he's not going to be a threat outside the red zone very much. 
I don't think it's crazy at all. It's going to be interesting to see how the board shakes out with all of those guys because I feel like what I why I like Van so much is that he his floor is so high to me. Like he knows how to get open, and it's just you don't have to debate it. You turn on the film, the quarterbacks don't do him any favors, and he knows how to constantly get open, and he has strong hands. If you know how to separate yep. and catch the ball, you're probably going to be productive at the next level. So that's why I think I like him the best out of that crop. And with Lynn, he could do so many different things, and he's really tough, really tough. I'm excited for when we get to talk to him on this show. I think those are the two guys out of that group that stand out the most for me. And Duvernay is interesting. I know you've been higher on Duvernay than all of us on this show, and he only got better as the year went on. He led college football in catches this year. That's, like, that's a sneaky stat. Somehow is forgotten. And I think he's going to run really well. I, I think he has a big week in Mobile. He has the right type of athleticism to show up there. All right, that is our show. Don't forget, uh, I will say next week the schedule is going to be a little different. Shows will come out Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning. I think I you think, have that and right. maybe Friday morning. <laughs> yeah, because we'll be recording Monday night, Tuesday morning, Wednesday night. And then if we have time, I think we'll try to get a Thursday show in there as well. That'll come out Friday morning. So just Refresh make sure you're app. subscribed. That way you get, yeah, subscribe or get the BR app and you'll get all the shows. For Connors, Matt, we'll be back with Mellow Friday morning, having tons of fun here on Stick to Football. Mm-hmm.